0: Your promise, promises have been thoroughly tested and your servants, your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands are my delight. Your statutes are forever right. Give me understanding that I may live. live. Very nice. Okay, is it uh, the 10th
1: today? Uh, yes. Yes. And it's the 10th, okay. All right, we're going to read that. August 10th. God can be trusted to work out the details. Cameron Cam Townsend was born in California in 1896. At the age of 12, he joined the Presbyterian Church in which he was raised. After his father, who was deaf, took him out into the barn and questioned him about his faith cam wrote out the answer so his father could be satisfied that his son had a personal faith in jesus christ as lord and savior in 1917 townsend went to guatemala to sell spanish bibles to the i can't pronounce it indians Uh, but townsend soon realized that these indians had no use for spanish bibles and were often offended by his efforts to sell them one day an indian asked him if your god is so smart why hasn't he learned our language good question That question burned in his mind until he determined to translate the Gospel of Mark into this language himself. With that task completed, Townsend proceeded to translate the rest of the New Testament. Upon its completion in 1929, these Indians exclaimed, now God speaks our language. This uh, gave Cam the motivation to translate the Bible into yet another language. A prominent Mexican educator visited Townsend and was impressed by what he had done for the Indians. After returning to Mexico, he wrote Townsend saying, Come to Mexico. Our revolutionary leaders will help you. But illness interrupted, Cam contracted tuberculosis, and his wife developed a threatening heart condition. They returned to California to recuperate. Once Townsend had recovered, L.L. A missionary friend urged him to go to Mexico, where at least 50 Indian tribes had no Bible in their language. Then news came from Mexico that a new socialist president had confiscated all religious property and ordered all foreign missionaries to leave the country. Legters traveled to New Jersey, to America's Keswick, um, a Bible conference where on August 10th, 1933 there was a day of prayer for Mexico and Townsend's vision for translating the Bible into tribal languages there. When Addison Rawes, Keswick's director, announced that the leaders would be fasting for the day, no one went to the dining hall. Ledgers and his wife prayed all night in the auditorium. <clears throat> Those at Keswick were so sure that God would answer their prayers that they encouraged Townsend and Ledkers to go immediately to Mexico and ask permission to do their Bible translation work. Um, Let's see here, they later learned at the same time a group of Keswick in England was praying for the Indians of Mexico. Here, I'm gonna let you finish reading this. Start right
0: here under Cam. Cam sent, first paragraph. Read it loud so they can hear you. Cam sent his wife to stay with her parents, which he had uh, he and ledgers uh, headed for the Mexican border uh, when they were uh, were denied entry Towson thought that the letter from the Mexican uh, educator and they were allowed to enter though um, through an amazing series of uh, contacts Towson met Mexico's dictator <laughs> wow. and uh, of uh, rural education in Mexico City who gave Towson permission to study Mexico's rural education system for six weeks and was pleased with the analogy uh, analysis uh, Cam wrote. Uh, so sure were Towson and lagers that uh, Mexico would be open to them, that they originate, organized a uh, three-month translation school in a barn in Arkansas for training Bible translators. They called it Camp Wycliffe, naming it after John Wycliffe, the first translator of the Bible into English. Uh, the three students and four faculty members sat in the barn on nailed kegs, nail kegs, excuse me. Um, the Towsons went to Mexico in 1935 with their students and began to translate the Bible into tribal languages. Wycliffe Bible translators grew to become the largest independent Protestant mission agency in the world. In the time of Towson's death in 1982, half of the world's 5,000 languages still did not have any portion of scripture, but half did, Uh, because of of, uh, Cameron Towson. Reflection. Uh, Do you think it's important for people to be able to read the Bible in another tongue, in their mother tongue? Children from immigrant homes often pray for the rest of their lives in the language of their land of origin. One's first language is the language of the heart. And from Acts 2.11. We all hear the people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done.
1: Good, thank you. Is everything okay over there?
0: Yeah, just the sound at the beginning wasn't good. It's better
1: now. Oh, okay. Was it when you say not good? Was it doing yeah, it echoey. with echoing? Oh, yeah. I was doing that a week or so, good. two yeah. weeks ago. All right. Yeah, I could not have finished reading that. Oh. Personal. Okay. I love the Wycliffe translators. Here you go.
0: Is that sarcasm? No. You do. I love them. I
1: was going to join them before. uh, Anyway, I could not finish
0: that. The Lord directed you
1: here. Yeah, we're here. Um, Let's see here. I got that done. Uh, Let's see. People love to tear apart other Christians, like the Wycliffe translators, because they don't like one little thing that they do. Uh, You know, I've heard this for years, but they do great work for the Mm -hmm. Lord. They brought more people to the Lord than those other people will ever sit there and complain about their lives. Uh, you know, one of the things that came out is about three or four years ago. I was just furious at how ignorant people are. Um, Wycliffe Bible translators, uh, when they go to like Indonesia or Malaysia, they use the word Allah. Right. And everybody gets bent out of shape and they say, What are you doing? They have no idea that the word Allah means what? Just God. God that's all it means it, it doesn't mean the God of Islam it's just a word for God we say God all the time there's other words for God in other languages kami in in uh, Japan for example and you have to use what the people speak or they have no reference right. and so for a Christian to say Allah just means God okay but you know you get these people that suddenly send that kind of stuff out all around the world and they harm ministries that are actually working. And they're actually doing something for the Lord instead of sitting behind a computer and tearing other people apart. And you know, I, I have a great love for the work that Wycliffe does. I just, anyway, um, you know, imperfect people out there doing the Lord's work. That's what he uses is imperfect people. So if you got something, truth. yeah, that's, well, to add. <laughs> exactly. If you got something negative to say about a ministry, at least know what you are talking about before you say it. Um, let's see here Um, uh, in Kenya they've been having riots, I don't know if you know about this there's been death, there's been police brutality where they've used live weapons against children I mean against the people Uh, Silas in Kenya who uh, many people support from time to time uh, he asked for prayers for peace and unity within the nation and uh, he was able to rescue 36 children so far so um, they're doing their thing, but it's a dangerous situation right now. Uh, Reuben and Galen from Naples came up a couple months ago. They're buying their first house maybe. And so they'd ask for prayers for that. And also the family is sick with a flu or something. She calls it the ick and they've all got it. So keep them in prayer for that. Uh, Pete, who we were praying for his eyes, he had one done and then the other. This morning I got a, uh, a note saying prayers of thanksgiving. For all the people that had him in prayer, his eyes are good. So he's very happy and he's very thankful. Um, uh, Somebody, you know, a couple Sundays ago, I made an appeal uh, for the missionaries that I've been taking care of all these years because Hidiko's no longer working. And uh, somebody, I don't know where he is at with this, but he emailed me. And uh, I know he's quite a few of them he's taken care of because I've gotten response emails where I've been replied on them. But uh, he emailed me and he asked, "I'd like to take care of all of the mission." So, without giving his name, I'd like to thank him for having done that. Yeah, I just I can't believe it. It's been Terrible worrying about these people and I'll continue to help them as I can, but I just don't want anybody to go unfunded And some people have emailed me since then we'd like to help along and I said so far as I know This person has taken them all so if you want to help them individually, that's fine But the need that I was concerned about is taken care of um, John Burke's son is not doing well. We want to keep him in prayer, uh, but I would also ask for prayers for Burke and Sheila because they're going through this and the whole family is going through it. So uh, have, have prayers for Burke and his family. And uh, finally, my pest person was at the house today and he's gone through a, a loss of his part-time job, which he started his own pest company and he's dependent on that part-time job to continue to build his company and so if you would keep uh, him in prayer he's a great guy pain pest solutions so uh, just keep him in prayer because he's right at the break even point right now and you know without that part time job he's going to be a little bit behind so pray that he will get some new contracts and he'll get some new uh, uh, contacts and that would be great he's a wonderful guy and I recommend him if you're here in Sarasota and you need a pest company. He, he's been taking care of us for years and years. And uh, he went out on his own and we followed him. Several of our family did. So uh, he's that nice of a guy. But keep those people in prayer. Big prayer of thanksgiving for the person that is offered to mm-hmm. take care of these missionaries. I can't tell you. What that means to me personally, because I don't want them to go less than what they're used to you know it's just it, that would just not be a happy thing for me um, like I said, if I have extra and I can send it on, then they'll have more than what they're used to because it's taken care of but it's just such a great thing it's so great how people take care of other people in this this body. Um, all right, we got to get into one Thessalonians five, and we. I'm going to have a little shorter class today. I don't know if Hedeco's even coming, but uh, we. He, she and I've got something to do, so I'm going to cut it off a little short today. But we'll get done what we can. Oh, talking about missionaries, I forgot that. I'm uh, uh, just to read you something. If this uh, anybody can help out with this, um, Remy, who's in the Philippines, her husband died, and she has stayed and continued to help the people that. Um, she says, I'm thrilled to share an exciting update regarding our recent outreach efforts. Last Thursday, we went on a visit to the hinterland, which is in the Philippines. The hinterland is pretty much everywhere, but it's anyway. Attached is the Google map. She sent that to me. It looked like a great time, but they had to take motorcycles just to get out there. Um, uh, the journey itself was captivating, and upon arrival, we conducted our weekly service. The local community displayed a remarkable eagerness to hear the word of God, and we were also uh, able to establish connections with the indigenous tribe residing in the area. Uh, They've got some tribes that are so indigenous, you want to say, in the Philippines, that they literally walk around with spears and, you know, the garbs that you would think of from... You know that seventeen hundred yeah Hollywood uh it was like that in Malaysia when we would go up over the crest to the east Coast. we would see people that it was unbelievable, but the Philippines is very large, it's very sparsely uh populated in most areas, and uh, these they have some that uh their language actually sounds like whistles and clicks. It's unbelievable to hear these people, so um she's out there taking care of some of these tribes, but um she said um I had fun with the kids in the hinterland reaching out also to some street kids in our city whom we brought in our church for kids training uh, they bought a sound system that will enhance their communication and outreach efforts making it easier to share our message of hope and positivity with a broader audience uh, we want to buy some other materials that we could use for the outreach um, is it okay and if there are some generous people who want to share, we need about $200 for inmate and mission outreach. They go into the prisons and help these people out and give them the gospel while they're in there. Um, none of these accomplishments would have been possible without, and I don't need to read the rest. But anyway, she uh, uh, needs a little help there. And uh, so if anybody wants to meet that need, let me know. And uh, 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 okay, we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter Five, and we're going to start in verse 13 today
0: it is. Okay. And It's okay I'm just going to back up one verse Which is uh, the beginning of the final instructions from Paul Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you Who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you 15, hold them in the highest 15
1: regard 15 or 13? 14 Okay. Oh, good. Okay.
0: Thirteen. Yes. Um, Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other.
1: Oh, is that it? Wow. Okay. This one says, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. So I guess each other and yourselves is, I was waiting for more. I'm not really with it today. Uh, Hidako and I have had to really, really long actually three really long days because the plumbers were there on tuesday and wednesday and it's been really difficult i got to tell you and then the day was just poor Hidako has to put up with me um uh there's just a ton of work to do now that they are gone they got everything done and and uh it's going to be another i'm going to try to get everything done tomorrow Hidako laughed at me and i kind of got angry at her what i can't do it (laughs) but but i'm going to try to get it all done tomorrow Uh, and that way I can go to the projects on Saturday, and if not, I may not be there. I know we've got Don and Jody back, and I assume they'll be at the project, so Um, we'll see. I'm so tired right now. I'm so physically beat that I'm just worn out, so I apologize if I'm kind of scatterbrained, but here we go. Uh, 513, the Greek uh, of the words, and to esteem them very highly is difficult to be dogmatic about. Two main views are... One, that the words in love are to be taken with to esteem and then to attach very highly to in love. Okay, that would be and to esteem them in love very highly. Or it could be that love qualifies both esteem and very highly and to esteem them very highly in love. Okay, it's, it, people debate this, the Greek is very hard to uh, figure out and so scholars are divided on what they think it's actually saying. Either way, the idea is geared towards loving those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. They are to be given high honor for their efforts in Christ. The church isn't just to recognize that he is the leader as if one would pay honor to a president or a king, but they are to have a holy love for him as one would be of a beloved leader. In such a bond, there is to be the letting go of pet peeves and minor disagreements about life and a joining together in heart and fellowship because of Christ. The reason for this is then stated as, for their work's sake. It's not so much because of the person doing the work of ministering, but actually for the sake of the work itself. Uh, Though a person is filling the position, it is the position which is to be focused on. Now, we try to do that in our country, uh, like with the office of the president. You don't like the guy that's in the office, but you have respect for the office. Um, And so when you go into the Oval Office, you should be dressed appropriately. You should Uh, Respond accordingly to the person that's sitting in the office, etc. In the case of the person that's there now, like the one that was there uh, back in 2008, I I just wouldn't go because I couldn't separate the office from the person in that. I I just can't. Um, There are some things that you're able to do in life, and that's one of the things I don't think I would be able to. So uh, under the very slim chance that I would ever get an invite to the White House at this time, I, I, I would decline it. Okay, I'd rather decline it than stand in a room with a person that is not worthy of the title that he bears and have to say something that I didn't match with. Okay, but this is what the Bible is saying about, you know, the office here and, and the, it's, it's the position that is being focused on. Um, this is actually rather important because pastors and preachers come and go, but the position remains. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that. I, it might have been today. I'm not quite sure. The days have kind of melded together. But um, uh, it's true that the office of a pastor or preacher remains, the office of a professor in a seminary remains, um, et cetera. But, you know, the seminary itself remains. And that does not mean that the next guy is actually going to fill the position properly or that the next group of people are going to run that uh, seminary properly. And it's not that the person who's sitting in the White House is going to run it properly. So the, there is a point where, now, now the president is a little different because you're voting every four years and you might get somebody decent in there again, you know, if, if,
0: There's no change. yeah,
1: I, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, it's exactly what I was thinking, but um, so, you know, but the position itself remains, a little different than like a seminary. The position of the seminary eventually will devolve into something like Harvard University today or Princeton University. It's no longer what it was designed to be. It, was, it no longer carries the commission that it was initially uh, based upon. And so in that case, even the people in the position don't deserve any respect at all. As a matter of fact, they don't even deserve anything, but they're there. And uh, so, you know, you just want to line yourself that way. And the same is true with churches. You might have a church that started out very well, and the next guy comes in, and he deserves the position, the respect of the position he's filling. But then the third guy comes in, and he turns out to be like the guy that took over the church I was ordained at. And not only is he not worthy of the position, but the church immediately, I mean immediately, took a tailspin. It it, it was a great church here in Sarasota for years and years and years, and within a very short time it became a completely lost church, okay? Uh, so bad that they had to, I, I imagine that the property property was worth between 5 and $15 million. It's like 40 acres out there, uh, it, so maybe it's worth more than that, but they actually ended up just giving it away just completely handing it over to another church. And the only thing they asked for when they did that is that they would continue to fund the missionaries that they were funding. That's all they asked for. But it was a very sad thing that happened there, is that, uh, uh, and so, you know, you have positions that are supposed to be given high honor, but sometimes it's not even possible anymore because somebody can take something that is sound and completely ruin it that quickly. You um, know, uh, quite a few people here went to that church or attended it at one time or another, and they know what it was like before. It was a great church, and uh, this church was—I'm talking about the building, not the people. The, the church building here um, was built with the most incredible acoustics. They. Had a uh, uh, what is it a warbler organ or what is it the, the does anybody remember the I name? Don't remember, but it was a... It's one of the very expensive organs that Wurlitzer. they have a oh, Wurlitzer Thank, thank you. you. They're they're all over the country. They've got clubs and they actually go into an area where they want to have a one of these Wurlitzers put in these completely rebuilt, very very expensive organs, and uh, they will go in and check the acoustics. And they went into this church and they said, this is unbelievable. This is a great church and we will give you this million dollar organ for your church. You can use it. It will be yours. We will give it to you if you allow us to have, I think, one or maybe two Wurlitzer concerts every year. That's all they asked for. And so it had this beautiful organ. And, uh, you know, it was very well, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, The well I'm talking about the church itself it was just very beautiful and uh, the people really cared about what they were doing when they built this building and uh, with their intentions for missionaries and other things that they bought all that extra property for and uh, uh, the the organ stopped being used the wood was all painted black it it was just it was the sign at the front of the church when you drove in right on the corner was a big cross and he knocked off the top of the cross, so it's just a T. And everything that that person did was B A D bad. Everything he did. He was a, a very, in my opinion, wicked person. If you disagree, that's fine. I'll disagree with you. But that was my uh, thought on what he did and the way he handled things. And uh, he drove it into the ground, and that was the end of that church. Yes.
0: Do you believe that people in heaven can see? adverse things like that. I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I've heard people say that Charles Fuller would turn over in his grave.
1: Oh, with the Fuller Seminary? I got an article with them coming up on Sunday, if it'll make the uh, update. We'll see. But absolutely. You know, whether that's true or not, you know, it's like, oh, the Founding Fathers are turning over in their graves. I I have no idea if they can or not, but I can tell you that these people would not approve of what's going on in the world, both in The uh, political spectrum but especially in the church what is happening is terrible so uh, the whole point is that the the position is what is supposed to receive the respect but sometimes it cannot be given any longer because the person that is filling it is is that bad but whatever it is what it is and we have to live through those things so that
0: word esteem is value and respect yeah esteem
1: yep value and respect and that's exactly right that's that's you know we should esteem the person in the position but that doesn't mean it's going to happen um let's see here so where was i um uh yes it's the one who fills the position in doing so in doing this any non-sinful failings of the person are overlooked because of the job he is carrying out for his flock. Uh, And that's one thing that's, you know, a lot of churches, you know, I'm talking about the ones you see on TV. They got so many people that you'll never meet the pastor. You'll never come to his house and whatever. But if you come to my house, you're going to say everything about my life is right there in front of you, you know? And so uh, uh, you might think, well, I disagree with that or that if if you're that type of person, don't come to the house because, you know, I am Charlie Garrett. I'm me, and, you know, I try to love the Lord with all my heart, but I'm a high-strung person. Uh, people that know me know me. I get very tense very quickly. Um, uh, I, I, I just am a person filled with faults, and yesterday, last night, I was listening to just a three-minute um uh, I must have been on YouTube. I don't, I'm i so tired, I can't remember what I've been doing, but um, uh, Alistair Begg was talking, and I just love the guy. You know, he, he doesn't really get into the Bible the way that we do. There's nothing like that, but his sermons are very uplifting. They're very doctrinally sound, in other words. I've never heard anything that I thought, well, I disagree with that, but it's not really doctrine that he's giving out for the most part. It's just an encouraging message. Okay, uh, but he's got that beautiful Scottish brogue that if you hear it you just almost like ice cream on your ears and so um, he was talking and he was saying exactly the way that I feel he said the whole congregation laughed. so I've got to get this right he said if you knew me you would not listen to me preach and then he said and if I knew you I would not preach to you and so uh, he was making a point that we we don't we look at ourselves differently than other people and uh, we make judgments that may not be appropriate, and we have to let things go sometimes. J. Um, Vernon
0: McGee initiated that saying. Yeah. Uh, is that right? Yes. Jay yes.
1: Vernon McGee, he said, initiated that. And uh, you know, if he really felt that way, then he's a man after my own heart because I, I, stress over being upset, but it's my nature. I get upset really, really easily. I mean, I just I kind of fly off the handle, and so I've learned in the recent past, it has not been that long, that if somebody sends an email that I don't like, I say, I'm going to answer that later. And then it gives me time to think about it and give a better response than I may otherwise have. Um, uh, Somebody emailed me today and uh, he was talking about, I haven't responded to it yet because um, I I want to be able to sit at my computer and answer him. I can't do it on an iPad and get a a good response to anybody. But he said, um, uh, he, he does apologetics and he gets these people that want to argue with him and he says I'm always very nice to them because I may make a change in their life and I thought that's not Charlie Garrett. You know if people want to argue I give them like one chance and then that is it. I, I just don't have patience for people and it's a real failing of mine and uh, you know I go to bed at night and I think gee I wasn't very nice to he to go today which is every day of the year or I really wasn't nice to my son or my daughter. and. You know um, it it bothers me but that's how I am and it doesn't mean that that's the way that I am in my heart it's just my makeup and if you are close to me you know that i Sergio's over there probably saying (laughs) yeah yeah I mean he knows very well how uh, impatient I am with things Whereas some people are so patient they can just take it and take it so anyway um, finally Paul says be at peace among yourselves There's no connecting article such as and, and thus it is an entirely different thought intended for the members of the church in general, among one another, okay? It's just a general thought. Be at peace among yourselves. Not only are they to show loving esteem for their leaders, but they are to act in peace towards one another as well. That's a hard thing to do. I mean, we all have differences with people and you know even in a small church like this and I don't pay attention to these things so this is not an example okay but I could just see somebody saying I'm never gonna sit close to that person and there's like only you know how many chairs in here there's not a lot but they're always sitting at like corners or something Um, once again I don't pay attention to those things but uh, there are some people that you just don't want to be near okay but anyway um, Somebody's laughing over there. So obviously this is going on, or I don't know what. Anyway, um, uh, this is a sentiment seen elsewhere. It says, Jesus says substantially the same thing in Mark 9.50. I don't know why I said that. What did he say in Mark 9.50? Hang on one sec here. And, uh, wow, Uh, let's see here. Mark 9.50 says... Oh, yeah, salt is good, but if it loses, uh, salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Uh, Paul says it again in Romans 12, 18. Let me take you there. Romans, Acts, wrong, oops, wrong way. Um, Romans 12, 18, and uh, God of peace, no, that's not it. Uh, Let's see, Romans 12, verse 18, that's not it, that's page. Um, He says... um, I'll start in 17 repay no one evil for evil have regard for good things in the sight of all men if it is possible as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men Um, you know what I, I think that if it's possible and some things are not possible you can't live peaceably with this particular person it's just not possible But we don't want to use that as an excuse to say, Paul gave us an out, and so I'm going to not live peaceably with this person. We have to at least make an effort. He's saying, if it's possible, meaning try, okay? Uh, And then um, he says different words in Romans 14, verse 19, which he says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another okay so these are things that we're supposed to do they're prescriptive they're in the epistles and they are things that we need to do Um, if possible live at peace with one another means try okay Um, sometimes it's just not possible but try Uh, life application a church is only a home to those in it if they treat it as a home okay now when I say a church I'm talking about the people. The people are the church. You know, sometimes we use the word church for the building and I did that earlier and I I said I'm talking about the building here. It's just a building. It's not the important aspect of what it is, but the church itself and the people in it are actually the home. They are the ones that we live with, and you know, if you're living in your house, what does it say about the contentious wife? You know, better to sleep in the rain, or so I can't remember. Uh, oh, uh, like a dripping from the the roof is uh, living in a house with a contentious. wife. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, if you're in a contentious environment, it makes it difficult. So you try to make harmony. You got something? What we? Oh, no, okay, no. all right. Um, So uh, when we are with our family, we will hopefully give respect to the parents, demonstrate love towards one another, and attempt to live at peace. And one thing is absolutely true. I know this 100%, and I think most people in here have figured this one out, is that you are much more willing to forgive your family than people that you know. In other words, your family may do something really bad, but eventually you're going to make up but you have a disagreement with a friend, even a person in church, and you never speak to that person again, ever, okay? It's much easier because family is family and they say blood is thicker than water, you know? And that's true, they're family and so you're willing to make up. But uh, in actuality, we as members of this family are members of this family. And so we should be willing to, okay? Uh, If we carry the same attitude with us to the church, then it will function in the intended manner, just like a family would. The ultimate purpose of going to church is to bring glory to God, not have donuts and coffee. If we fail to follow through with Paul's words, we will fail at glorifying God. That's all there is to it, okay? Um, Now, some people, you know, they go to a big, big church. They don't know anybody in that church. I've talked to people like this. They have no idea who is in that church. They go every week, they get their message, and they have exactly that, donuts and coffee, and they go get them, and they have no association with anybody in that church at all. And I think, what a crime. You know, <laughs> that's the whole point. I get to be with people that I've really come to love and to, to enjoy, you know? And so uh, to me, that's and that was the way when I attended the church, I'd love to be with the people, you know? Um, so I, I just feel so bad that somebody would find church as a message and something to eat and not something more. But some people, that's what they do. And, uh, you know, another thing that I don't understand, and I hope that uh, if anybody is watching this that attends one of these churches, they'll let this go. I, don't be upset at me, but I'm going to say it. I do not understand going to a church where the pastor is at another church and you're watching a TV screen. I don't get that. Okay. I, 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 I don't Wait, think. What's be that? Careful. I know. but No, I'm not. No. <laughs> what I'm saying is, here's that what I'm was. saying about that. I'm saying is that if you are going to that church, and he's on a TV screen, why don't you just watch it at home?
0: Right. Well, that's, that's
1: I I don't even get going to a church where you're not going to the church where the pastor is to watch a screen. I, I that I I don't get it. So I understand people attending online. I completely get that. I have people that email me that says we have no church in our town at all. Uh, there are some people that don't have any church that's worth going to in their whole country. I mean, this is the way the world has gone. I get attending online. I don't get driving to a church to watch somebody on a screen. I I, I don't get that. That is a difference. Yeah, I I do not get that. But if you do that, that's fine. It's, you know, whatever. But that's the, I I just would say, I'm going to stay home and in my, you know, comfortable clothes and my bare feet. That's what I would do. So anyway, but everybody's different. Everybody's got needs that they need satisfied, and this thing keeps going down. But um, there you go with that. Okay, verse 514.
0: Here we go. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone.
1: Okay, now this one is completely different. In, instead of idle, it says, listen to this. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. That's completely different thought. Okay, I, I don't know if I have the word analyzed here, and if not, then I might go home and uh, take the time to just sit down and find out why one would say. Uh, I came to that in the commentary either yesterday or today, too. Completely different translate. It was today um, when um, Paul is now leaving Ephesus. I typed that today. It was Acts 20, verse 2, I think, and he's uh, leaving Ephesus, and Uh, it says that some say he uh, greeted them, some say he saluted them, some say he embraced them, some say he encouraged them, uh, some say he, uh, what's the other word, um, begins with e. Anyway, uh, several different translations. The word actually means to um, I can't remember exactly, but it's to do something with your arms. So it could be hugging somebody, and that's why some people say embrace. It could be You know like here we would high-five somebody right okay and so uh it could be that it's it's too enclosed with the arms but it doesn't have to mean that you're actually hugging them it can be other things like saluting somebody or you know whatever every culture's got its own thing but um i spent a lot of time thinking about that what word am i going to use to describe this all right because um i don't want to be wrong but at the same time there's really no way to know what's right when we weren't there and you've got 40 different possibilities that all make sense so it's very hard to know but um, right here we have uh, unruly and we've got uh, what idle. Idle. okay Uh, here we go Uh, 14 Paul continues his exhortations which are intended to maintain the peace that was just mentioned in the previous verse now we exhort that's Paul's words it is stated to ensure this is accomplished The word for exhort is a common one which signifies to call to or to encourage. The exhortation is that they are not to be shy in carrying out the things necessary to maintain the peace. Uh, Instead, they are to act boldly and decisively. And I actually think that uh, that might have been one of the words that people use in that verse today. Uh, I think one of the translations said exhort. So encourage, all kinds of different words that people are using to try to get the sense across. But uh, this is, again, directed to the brethren, okay? Anytime Paul uses the term brethren, he is speaking about believers. He's speaking about believers, not other people, okay? He continuously uses this term to ensure that they understand their position in the body and that they then act on it. From that perspective he wouldn't call somebody a brethren when writing an epistle if that person is not a member of the church he might call his his Jewish brethren for example he'll say that when he's referring to them my brethren of the flesh or whatever okay but in the sense of writing the letter to an audience when he says brethren he's talking about people that are believers okay Uh, first they are to warn those who are unruly Paul uses the same word translated as admonish in verse 12 to show the contrast between those who listen to their elders and those who do not. Now, how idol comes into that, I don't know. But anyway, he's showing the contrast between what is right and proper and what is not. The word, tra- oh, here it is. I'm glad I did analyze it. So we're going to find out at least what I thought about it at the time. The word translated as unruly is found only here. It is the negative of a word which means to draw up or arrange. Thus, it is those who are out of line just as a soldier who marches to his own beat is out of line. Okay, once again, I still don't know how they got idle out of that. I have no idea. Such people refuse to observe the guidelines of the Lord by living in faith in what he is instructed and what is then transmitted to them through their ministries. If the unruly use their unruliness to divide the body, Paul then gives direct instruction to ministers concerning them. He does it in the book of Titus, okay? So we're going to go to Titus, and we've got to get to chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11. He says, I'll start with 9. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject, here it is, a divisive man after uh, the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Okay, and I've tried to live by that one as much as possible. Somebody that wants to argue with me, like I said, and this is just me anyway, I'm not, you know, one to tolerate a lot of it, but um, uh, I will tell them why I don't want to talk to them anymore, and I will cite that verse. They'll come in and they'll say something, you know, and sometimes they set you up, like they'll ask a nice question when they intend to eviscerate you. People love to do that. But uh, you answer their thing. You say, great, have a great night and good to good to meet you. And then the next day they come back with their knives and they cut you into four million pieces and you go back and you respond. This is the second time. And you say, um, you, well, here's what I meant. And you know, it, you give your explanation. You, you're trying to be nice to them and they come back and they do it again. And from there I say, that verse right there. I'm first time, second time. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't. I just don't have patience, and I'm glad that verse is in the Bible because I can at least tell them. You know, they could say, "Well, you're not being a very good Christian." No, I'm doing what the Bible says. You're the one that started this. You're the one that set me up, and now you're trying to make me look like a bad guy, which means you're a Democrat. So it just, it, it's just the way some people are. But you know, I love that verse from Timothy because he's giving you advice for a good reason you're uh, it's the old word that jim and i use from time to time is playing scripture tennis there's a point where you just start lobbing the ball back and forth and this guy's never going to listen to what you have to say i remember one time somebody um, uh, asked me um, what do you think about this email and i told him and uh, he said well i'm going to give him a good response And i said i think you're probably wasting your time and he spent probably a day or more typing this email. It was very well thought out, it was long, it was very, very, very precise. He sent it and I'm not kidding, he came back, messaged me and he said, "Uh, I sent it and I got a response back within about 30 seconds. He had completely ignored all of the effort, all of the time that it was put into this because all this person wanted to do was to argue that he is right and you're wrong. He could not have read, it was impossible and you know what? I know what's coming. I know what is coming with many people because I've gone through it many times. And I'm sure now uh, things are done differently. But I felt so bad all of the time, the patience and the care that went into that email. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing that if you had AI, you could just print off a 40-page thing and send it to them. And you're going to get the same answer as you'd get from your own heartfelt thing. So some people, just they just want to waste your time. That's all they want to do. So uh, next comes Paul's exhortation to uphold the weak. This indicates a demonstration of sympathy and comfort by the personal touch of smoothing speech and heartfelt attention. This is needed for those Paul identifies as the faint-hearted. The Greek is a rare word found only here. It means little in quantity, and thus it is someone who is undeveloped and who lacks individuality. A suitable synonym for such a person uh, would be someone who is pusillanimous in nature. Okay, they're just not suited for this. Next, he exhorts the brethren to uphold the weak. Charles Ellicott defines such people as those who have not attained robust common sense and breadth of conscience, which discriminates between truths and superstitions necessities, and expediencies, or who are not yet ripe enough Christians to be of standing in persecution, okay? We're to uphold the weak, and there are a lot of people out there that they they are, Paul will use the term elsewhere, you know, tossed about by every uh, wind of doctrine, and they are not grounded. They don't know one thing from another. They're told one thing, and the next day they come back, and they're something completely different they have and that's why you know i said it last week probably eight or nine times that is why you have to read this bible you have to because if you don't know this bible you're that person right there you are the weak you're the person that has no standing no grounding at all zero you have nothing to base your argument on and so when somebody presents what seems like a logical argument and then somebody else does it over here they don't know what to do So, today they believe this, tomorrow they believe that, next day they're back here, and they just go through this all of their lives, never being grounded. And why? Because they haven't taken the time to do the one thing that they should be doing. They should be learning the Word, okay? And it's not that you have to be a theologian. It's not that you need to be deep in your thinking. What you need to do is just have enough understanding of the Word from daily reading it so that when you hear something that sounds wrong, You can say, that doesn't sound right. But you can't even do that unless you're in the Word. So, once again, please read your Bible. Please spend the time in the Bible long enough to, uh, each day, to be able to get that sense of what may be wrong. You may not know, but at least you have a sense of it. Now you can go and check it out with somebody that is hopefully... um, whatever. Okay. Um
0: be a doer not a hearer
1: only. Yes, absolutely. Be a doer and not a hearer only because and you know, hearing is fine because I listen to the Bible all day in the car and oh, I'm right up to Judges. I'm going to be starting Judges as a matter of fact, I did. I started Judges just before um I got here today. And that means that I typed the Judges two sermons over the past couple of weeks and so I get to hear you know from the audio Bible what I've typed and so I'm, I'm real excited about that um, anyway and I'll probably have that by the time I get home if not by the time I get to work in the morning at the mall I will have heard it and I'm, so I'm very excited about this area and I also listened obviously to Joshua 24 today because it leads right into Judges so I was listening to that and thinking about the sermon that's coming this week And so it's always exciting when things match up you know kind of closely in your life but that's not going to happen if you're not listening to the Bible it's not going to happen if you're not reading the Bible. So, um, uh, let's see. Or we are to reach out to such as these? I better go back. Uh, yeah, they're not uh, ripe enough Christians to be sure of standing in persecution. That's Charles Ellicott's words. We are to reach out to such as these and provide them with words which build them up, correct them in their deficiencies, and encourage them to press on in their walk with Christ. This is what we should be doing and if we're not doing that, then we're not helping those people at all. Keep encouraging them, keep trying to lead them in the right direction and so on. Um, finally, he instructs the church to be patient with all. In Christianity, there is a truth that I'd love to say this. Everyone is a specialist except the minister. Everybody knows the Bible. They know prophecy better than the pastor, okay? Uh, it, it happens all over the place. Uh, people develop ideas about what is correct and they can wear others out with their incorrect thinking. Ministers are to be patient in correcting people like this. Okay, it's hard, but this is what we're supposed to be. Further, there are others who have real trouble grasping theological truths. I remember that happened to me one time years ago. I typed something, a logical defense, uh, not really from a biblical perspective, but just from, uh, you know, logic and reason, and I posted it on Facebook and this lady emailed me and she says I just don't understand what you're saying and I thought I, I how can she not get that but she had trouble with that and so I walked her through it very carefully and she began to see it but you know it, it's some things are just beyond our thinking um, one of the things I probably mentioned this and that I don't remember what but uh, the second law of thermodynamics anybody know what that is uh energy is wearing down in a closed system okay so you've got a closed system which the universe is it's not eternal it's not infinite okay and so if the universe always existed this is just a way of getting rid of the argument that that the universe always existed because that some people believe that and you've got to correct that in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and they don't believe in god so the universe has always been here or the universe created itself which means that it existed before it was and so the universe has always existed the problem with that is the second law of therm it's one of many problems but this is just one of them second law of thermodynamics says that energy is wearing down in a closed system okay so if it is wearing down there's a point where it will disappear it'll disappear there will no longer be energy okay and because of that if the universe was eternal Then energy would have worn down an infinite amount of time ago. If it was always there, there was an infinite amount of time ago that energy has worn out. Everybody got that. If you don't get it, think about it. But that's the kind of thing. It's something you have to kind of think about the first time and she wasn't getting it and so I walked her through it. But that's what is known as an infinite regress. There cannot be an infinite regress, okay, and, but people don't understand that, and so they think, oh, well, that makes a logical sense, and, but when you explain that, there cannot be an infinite regress of such things, then you know that there was a beginning. There had to be a beginning, and if there was a, a beginning, there was a beginner, <laughs> okay, and then, of course, people will come in and say, well, then where did God come from? And that takes you to the 12 first principles, which I tell people, please get to know those. Uh, God is a, anybody begins with N? Necessary. Necessary being. He cannot not exist. He must exist. How do we know that?
0: Because he's necessary.
1: How do we know that he is necessary? That he cannot not exist?
0: Because we're
1: here. We're here. If we're here, then... God must exist. He must. He is a necessary being. We are not necessary. I didn't need to be here. The universe, all of time, space, and matter didn't need to be here. But it's here. Therefore, something must be outside of here that must exist. We can logically know that. So, if you get to know the 12 first principles, you'll get rid of a lot of bad theology simply by thinking through the 12 first principles. Once again, if anybody says, I want those 12 first principles, do not use them when you are evangelizing people. I used to do that. I tried to explain things to them. That doesn't help anything. Do not use that. When you evangelize somebody, you want to give them the simple gospel. Keep it simple. Don't come, you know. But there are times where you think, I know the answer to what this guy's problem is, and you start talking about it, and the next thing you know, you've completely lost him. You've lost the point of the conversation, which is to introduce them to Jesus, okay? But you so, can
0: boil that down. You Simply. can boil it
1: down. Sometimes you have to. Right. That's right. But you don't want to use that as a part of your, your. No. I, I'm really smart here, and you're not, and I'm going to tell you, you lose people that way. Right, right. You want to stick so, to the gospel as much as possible. Physics okay.
0: 101. Yeah. No thing can come from nothing.
1: That's right. And that is We're a here. part of the 12 First Principles. So, That's exactly like, right but what is it that brought us here? And so that's what people will debate. Well, you don't need to if you know logically each step of those 12 first principles. You're going to come to a logical conclusion that God does exist and that Jesus Christ must be, by default, God. You can know that, okay? You can know that, all right? And that's why when I started the series that we're in right now, meaning from Genesis 1-1 up to Joshua 24, 6 through 15. I started with that, explaining these things. How you can know, apart from the Bible, not that the Bible isn't necessary, it's completely necessary, it tells us the things that we can deduce without the Bible. I can know these things. Now, how do I determine which religion on this planet matches? Do any of them? Do none of them? it would be a logical contradiction to assume that we know these things and that God never has revealed to us that he is that God. He wouldn't do that. He is. He wants us to know who he is, and therefore he has established a religion by which we can know who he is. Our thinking thought this we know that it's logical and that it's correct, and then he has shown us that he is that God that we can know apart from the Bible. That's why I did that in Genesis 1-1, okay? It's an important thing to at least be aware of, not to use as evangelism, etc., but just to be aware that you are following the right religion. Now, how do you know that Islam is wrong? How do you know? I mean, if you don't know what God is like, how do you know that Islam is wrong? How do you know that Buddhism is wrong? How do you know that Hinduism is wrong? You have to have something to say, I get this. And that's why the gospel is so wonderful. It's so simple, but it defines what is wrong in you, and you, and me. And no other religion does that. It defines what is wrong with you, and it defines how that can be corrected. No other religion on this planet does that. It all comes back to me. It comes back to me. This religion says, if I do this, this religion says, if I do this, this, and you're going to find that repeated in every false religion that you ever encounter, including false Christianity, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. It is always coming back to that two-letter word, me. I am involved in this in some way, okay? True Christianity is the exception god has done the work he has revealed himself as we can know apart from scripture and he has made the problem that exists in you and me to go away if we simply do one thing and it's not of us he tells us in his word it is not of us it is the gift of god not of uh uh, works lest anyone should boast it is totally done by him and all we have to do is accept that premise That is the marvel of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Okay, and we can know that it's true. We don't have to say, what about Islam? What about this religion? What about that religion? We don't need to do that once we know those things and then pursue the Bible and understand that the Bible explains exactly what we knew apart from the Bible. Okay, Um, let's see here. People have real trouble grasping theological truths. They can be told the same thing numerous times And yet they will still come back and ask the same question again and again. A lot of people do that with the rapture. I don't quite understand why, but it is something that some people, they just keep asking that question, you know, and maybe it's because they're hearing other people and these other people say this and, but you know, when we get to two Thessalonians two, we're going to go through it. We're going to go through it very carefully, like I've done on several prophecy updates in the past. And i know that people are going to email me and they're going to three months later say well this pastor says and they've just it's so clear it is so precisely detailed by paul in two thessalonians 2. i don't know how people can miss that but they do and so again and again they will keep asking the same question it's not to belittle them it's just that they're getting something from somewhere that is it's not ticking it's not clicking it's not making sense when it makes completes. It's just so perfectly organized by Paul. He tells this, 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 and this. We will never, we will never know while we are here. I'm talking about you and me as believers. We will never know who the Antichrist is. We are not going to know that. Paul tells us that. Why would you spend your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is? Why would you read commentaries about that? He says we are not going to know. He gives that logical order. We are not going to be here when the antichrist is revealed we're not everybody understand that it says right in 2 thessalonians 2 we are not going to be here those things are going to happen afterward as that is true then it must be a blank rapture pre-tribula it must be and yet people can't get that right some people read it again they can be told the same thing numerous times and yet they still come back and ask the same question again and again. Believers need to be patient with such people, it's very hard, tending to them with care and courtesy even if they are worn out by the tedium of the task. That's a little different than the person that is divisive, that just wants to come and to show how smart he is and eviscerate you. Warn him once, warn him twice, and then have nothing to do with him. You are wasting your time and all you're doing is you're making him an object of his own affection. You're boosting himself in his own eyes. Life application. There is a difference between those who are unruly or belligerent, oh yeah, I just said it, and those who are simply lacking internal courage or right reason. For those who are know-it-alls and who are disruptive about doctrine, there is always the block option on Facebook or whatever medium you're in. You just block them. Just get them out of your life but this should be used sparingly. There are many who are simply misinformed, misguided, or misaligned in their Christian instruction. We are to be patient with such people, tending to them in a manner that will lead them to a fuller understanding and appreciation of God's word and his intent for them, okay? That's what we should be doing. It doesn't mean that uh, it's always gonna happen. And there are people, they're going to be conniving enough to make it look like they really care about what you're telling them, and you keep giving them instruction, and they, you eventually find out that they are just milking your time. You, you find that out. So um, we had that one time. I, I got duped by this guy. I, I'm in uh, Bible class, Thursday night Bible class, and I got an email from somebody that was you know, blah, 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 offended. And I think it was Lee. It was. It was Lee who's online. He's one of the moderators. And he, uh, uh, had, he had more discernment than I did about this guy. But I did not see the thread. I didn't know what was going on. I had none of that. But he came in. And, and so I said, okay, I'll talk to I don't know if it was Lee that blocked him or somebody else, but uh, he mentioned Lee. So, I went and I uh, talked to him and I said, this guy is okay. He obviously didn't mean what he said and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, 40 seconds later, he's saying something completely contrary to what he had just said. He, this guy was a real shark. He was just a very, very bad person. And, you know, he, but he just wanted to be that way. He wanted to do this, and so he's telling Lee one thing, he's telling me something else. This is going back and forth. Really quickly, I figured out that all he's doing is he's trying to divide people right here, right between this you know, chair here and the moderator online. He's just trying to divide them. And, but they knew immediately. It took me a while to figure it out because I thought I'm gonna be trusting with this. And watch out. B, what was it that jesus said B is uh why is uh, serpents and uh something about, s- something about dove wasn't meek. it make as, as doves and wise as serpents okay I, so and that's what you need to be and you really have to be that way when you're dealing with people because there are people that just want to argue but they will do it in so many cunning ways that it's hard to figure out and some people are very good about figuring it out quickly all right. So anyway, uh, we'll go to 5:15. 515.
0: 515 Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else.
1: Okay, a little different again. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. That's fine. But this one says, "But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all." So the first first clause was a little closer. Anyway, um, the words of this verse are plain simple to understand, and without any ambiguity or vagueness. He begins with, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone or wrong for wrong, okay? It is human nature to want to seek retribution, especially when someone renders evil toward us. We want judgment on their actions and we want it immediately. Further, we want to to execute that supposed judgment at least in kind and possibly in a more stringent manner than it was rendered to us. But the word instructs us otherwise. When evil is brought against us, we are to ask to not turn around and act in the same manner. Okay, we're not supposed to do that. Now, I will say this. Um, if somebody is working for a company and the company uh, is doing something wrong towards that individual, they're not Christians, okay? They are people that are, you are working with, that you were employed by, and they are doing you wrong. You are not to use this verse or any of the words that Jesus uses. This is Charlie Garrett's opinion on this matter, but I do believe that I'm correct you are not to say well I cannot sue for retribution against them. If they have harmed you, if they have uh, somehow harmed your life, they're not Christians and you know Christians are not supposed to ever sue or bring another Christian to court. You're supposed to handle the matters yourself, but if you are working for somebody and they have actually harmed your livelihood, your children's future is now at stake, your home is now at stake, you have a right You have a right to take them to court. That is why societies develop these things, is to protect the rights of the individual against such things. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? So you can't say, well, I need to not, you know, sue because then I won't be a good Christian. No, this is a society. You're taking a religious matter and you're now applying it to a societal matter. The two don't match, okay? As a matter of fact, the same people will always say, render to Caesar... What is due to Caesar? Well, if Caesar is oppressing you, you have a right to take Caesar to court. In other words, the government of Sarasota County does something wrong to you. You have a right to challenge them, okay? So don't let verses like this and like what Jesus says elsewhere cause you to not take action that will keep you from disaster, okay? They're using your Christianity against you. That's all they're doing. So I uh, do not, I'm not a favor, A fan of that type of uh, attitude. Okay. It's explained
0: that way. It's explained it within us.
1: That's right. Within us. Then outside. That's right. uh, The outside is completely different. We do not hold those things in that manner. So uh, did you have something? I know you do. Why is the
0: serpent innocent
1: as doves? Innocent as doves. Why is the serpent innocent as doves? Okay. There you go. Uh, Good. I'm glad you found that. when I see Burke going into his Bible. I know he's got something coming in a minute, like so I'm right glad you got he it. up like Innocent like as I doves. Like, you know, I, it may sound like, gee, what adult, he doesn't even know a, a verse like that, but there's so much in the Bible. There's so much in Scripture that it's hard to keep it all together. I mean, it, it's just the biggest, most marvelous book, and wow. Anyway. Um,
0: Getting back to your first point about just like outside yeah. and stuff like that the, the other one that they abuse tremendously is you're a christian you're supposed to forgive me yeah i just know like jesus forgave you and i said i asked jesus to forgive that's me. exactly so right you're asking me to forgive you and now i was like heck no it's okay like, well then that. you know <laughs>
1: what that's right if people the entire you've got to forgive everybody everything and the thing that surprises me i i don't want to get too far into this one but the thing that really surprises me is that even after you show them all the verses in scripture that support what you just said mm-hmm. They still say, you must forgive everybody. And I think, well, you know, you're not going to win with those people, but I'm sorry, that is not true. Okay. Throw a verse up here, send me the email and I'll tell you where you're wrong on it. Okay. The Bible does not ever teach that you until somebody acknowledges their sin against you, you are not required. And that's called repenting. You are not required to forgive them. Okay. I know there are verses that sound like that, but I can show you the context between gospels sometimes you need to take two sets because it's the exact same circumstance and Jesus says this but then it's added here you have to take it all together but uh, so once again I don't want to get too far into that right now but uh, that that is a teaching that has harmed so many Christians it has harmed so many people where they are abused by people they're they're treated poorly by family etc and they think I'm a Christian I have to forgive everything they're doing the Bible doesn't teach that. So there you go. Anyway, um, let's see here. Um, uh, evil is correct. Signifies. Yeah. Returning evil for evil only produces more evil. And that's a truism. I mean, that's just something that you are going to find is true. When you, uh, return evil for evil, you're going to get more evil. That's all it is. And that's why the world's in the state it's in right now. It does nothing that will produce holiness. And Paul doesn't just expect this toward believers. Now, this is not what I was talking about earlier in a societal sense, okay? So please understand that. But to anyone, our withholding of rendering evil includes all, okay? Uh, that's okay. I, I just I was going to say something, and that that noise took it out of my head. But anyway, um, uh, I, I just I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying I was trying to think of something, and I couldn't do it. But anyway, um, Paul he he wants us to understand: do not return evil for evil. Our withholding of evil, of rendering evil, includes everybody. It is a giant exhortation for us to follow, but it is part of the word. Okay. Next, he contrasts the thought with but always pursue what is good. This shows that rendering evil for evil is by nature wrong. When you do that, it's wrong because he's talking about the good now, which implies that what you are doing in that case is wrong. Okay, evil for evil. And, you know, I I will tell you something. when you have somebody and you're working on a property and the people next to you have a property and you make a mistake. Like I I blow leaves on Wednesday morning. It takes me a couple hours every Wednesday. It's hot. It's tiring. I got like 70 pounds on my back and it's vibrating and it's noisy and I come home and I'm just beat, okay? But I'm out there doing that and if I blow something onto his parking lot next door, this is just an example, okay? And he doesn't like that. He's going to have his yard crew blow it back on
0: you.
1: <laughs> and all that's going to do if you keep doing that is cause trouble okay and so I try to be careful with things like that I try not to I, as a matter of fact I try to go over and pick stuff up off of their side when it's you know just just trying to be friendly because you know you don't know when they're going to show up and do their work but you try to keep things clean do a little extra but uh if you were to get into something like that it will never end it will never end. And so you're only producing more evil. And that is what Paul is talking about. It just is not good. Ireland. Okay. Ireland? Yes.
0: Protestants oh, yeah. and Catholics
1: Protestants They're and Catholics. Absolutely. Back and forth that. and back and forth. There has to be a point where you say, I am no longer going to do this thing. Okay. Catholics are wrong. There's no doubt about it. Their theology is wrong. Let them live their theology. If that's what they want to live, let them live it. Okay, you tell them what's right. You be an example to them. You don't have to go blowing them up to prove that you're right. I mean, that's just crazy. So, any, but you're right. The Catholics in Ireland and the Protestants in Ireland, and they're—it's not worth it Ancient at faith. all. Yeah, uh, Paul asks us to instead pursue that which is moral, upright, and honoring of the Lord. Again, this is often a really hard thing to do in this life, but this is what is asked of us. And again he notes both for yourselves and for all. Okay? He wants us to remember this. Don't return evil for evil. Do what is right, do what is moral, do what is upright. And you know what? Sometimes your instinct or your immediate response is to return evil for evil. Okay? What do you do about it? When you collect your thoughts when you're calmed down after you've stewed about it turning over in your bed at night or whatever, go over and tell him what I did was wrong. And I'm sorry. And that'll end it. That will take care of it. But if you don't, the next day you're going to have the leaves blown back over on your side or whatever, whatever the situation is. So uh, certainly Paul has included this thought to show that our attitude is not to be one way among believers and then another way among non-believers. This may be the hardest part of all. Actually, I think it's probably harder between believers than it is with unbelievers, but whatever. Unbelievers often persecute those in the church in amazingly perverse ways. Now, I will agree with that, especially with like the Democrats and the way they're treating Christians in this nation. I'll give you an example right now. I think maybe it's coming in the Prophecy Update. Maybe maybe I'll put it in next week, whatever. Um, uh, these Catholics that are told they cannot adopt in Massachusetts because of their faith. You talk about perverse and now they're suing Massachusetts. Good for them. You believe that you that uh, you know homosexuality for example, I don't know what it, whatever it is, you believe that's wrong and you're going to teach that to your children. They have denied them the right to adopt. They can't have their own children. These people are out there murdering babies by the score. They want to help an innocent child and they can't because they believe differently. That's insane. Okay, so that's a good example right there. This may be the hardest part of all. Unbelievers um, often persecute the church uh, in amazingly perverse ways. However, we are to conduct ourselves. Now, they're taking a legal moral stand. Once again, that's a societal thing that they can do by suing. They cannot be told you shouldn't be suing because you're a Catholic. They should be suing because they are Catholic. That's a societal thing rather than a... uh, Just biblical. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, we're to conduct ourselves in a moral manner, placing them on the same level as those with whom we stand in agreement about our faith. Very hard words here. I understand that. and You may be stewing over something Paul said. He's giving us guidelines. It's to keep us on the straight and narrow and to keep us from further harm. Life application, we're going to be done 15 minutes early today. In today's world, it is incredibly easy... To return evil for evil to people via electronic means it is the easiest thing on the planet to do that we can we no longer have to look someone in the eyes in order to act this way we can send out angry words laced with poison and feel unashamed at doing so but the modern world doesn't exclude this ancient precept it is as binding today as when paul wrote it so let us be careful to act morally and honoring of the Lord at all times. Okay, once again, I understand those are very hard words. They're difficult for us to live by at times. Some people find it a lot easier than others. Depends on your uh, uh, you know, your makeup. Your, if you're A type personality, you can handle this, but not that. If you're B, you can handle this, but not that. If you're C, you don't exist, and so on. But um, it's just, uh, uh, it's something that we need to just try to do is to live by this. And once again, I'll close with this is because you could say, well, you're not doing that. And therefore you have lost your salvation. We are not being imputed sin. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. Go read it. If you're in disagreement with it, if you are not under law and you're not being imputed sin and you were granted salvation with a guarantee, which is the Holy Spirit, the highest guarantee of all, how can you lose your salvation? But people don't want to accept that because once again, even after being saved, it comes back to the two-letter word, me, okay? Jesus has saved you, he entered into covenant with you. He will not break his side of the agreement. God covenanted with Israel at Mount Sinai. Israel is still bound to that covenant to this day. Despite their failing in it constantly, even from moments after they agreed to that covenant, he has never, ever broken his covenant with them. People that teach replacement theology are teaching that God has broken his covenant with that group of people. Do not listen to people that teach that because the inevitable result of that type of thinking is that you can lose your salvation, that God is not to be trusted, and on and on and on. Despite their unfaithfulness, he has remained perfectly faithful to Israel. Now you could say, well, what about the pogroms? What about the Holocaust? That was being faithful because he said in his covenant with them, I will do these things if you don't obey. Yet I will never cut you off. I will never end you as a people. So they get in what they deserve from the covenant. He's being faithful to it. At the same time, he's preserving them through it. God is faithful when we are not. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your faithfulness, even when we fail daily at the things that Paul wrote about. He's given us great instruction. He's given us words that come directly from your wisdom and your mind through his pen to instruct us. And Lord, I know personally reading these things and I'm telling these people what they should be doing that I fail in them about every two seconds of my life. But that is our human nature. And I thank you for your grace that rests upon me despite my Graceless attitude in so many ways. Thank you for that. And help each one of us to live by these words and to pursue holiness and to stand in your presence unashamed of the actions we've made in this life. May it be so. Help us in this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm gonna back this up and say goodbye to these folks here. Oh Sergio.